Hey guys, you're listening to the You Are Not an Artist podcast, where we're talking about how to build a sustainable art career. Today we're talking about creating your inventory, the daunting task. Good job. That was a good lead-in. Thank you. Did you. Good. I'm yeah. very proud of myself. Yeah, you did good. As begrudgingly as I did it. Welcome to the podcast, guys. <laughs> uh, my name is Alejandro Castaño, and this is Shelby Seymour, my lovely wife. And we are going to be talking about, like she said, creating an inventory. So uh, what do we? What do they need to know before we start off with the podcast? So to kind of give you a little bit of backstory on this. So we have a three-phase curriculum for building an art career. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, this is kind of our shtick. So we're talking about phase one today. We're still in phase one, and we're talking about creating an inventory. But before you can create your inventory, you will be helping yourself and your sanity out immensely if you learn first to build a artist skill set and then create a uh, creative process. Creative process, yes. And so if you haven't checked that out yet, um, after you finish listening to this podcast, go to the links down below and we've got all that jazz for you. But definitely go back and see the lessons that we've already done. And the previous podcast. And the previous podcasts. Yep. We have more content than you probably know what to do with. But that's a good thing. Yeah, and we're just getting going. Enough content for every learning style. That's the goal. Yes. So, welcome. If you're new, and welcome back to all of our subscribers in our community. We do have an artist community. Um, if you'd like to join, um, these lessons come straight to your inbox every week. Um, we have the Sustainable Artist private Facebook group where we offer support, help, and listen to each other cry as we go through our art careers. And also we have exclusive webinars and classes that are only for uh, the sustainable artist community. Right. So there's everything you can be a part of, but let's get to the podcast. Creating an inventory. So our objective for this lesson is to create a hundred plus original pieces to sell. Why? I'm glad. Why? <laughs> glad this got thrown at me. Why do you need a hundred? No, I'm just pieces? posing the question. We oh. can both talk about it. Oh, okay. Why do you need a hundred pieces? Um, because if we think about, we want you to be thinking about your art business in terms of it being an actual business. And if you were to go into a clothing store that had a grand opening, and you're expecting them to have this large selection of clothing and different sizes and colors and styles and they have four pieces in the store it's it's going to be an awkward interaction yeah. it's going to be a little bit of a letdown you have to be very mindful of the fact that um it's easy to get caught up in like the vanity metrics of wanting to show your work right away um as you are just starting um but that's not really that that's the way social media says that you should do it but that's not the way normal businesses actually function um, they they don't show their inventory uh, before they have it um, after they have their inventory they show it off in many different ways they've got content behind the inventory they're showing it off in its best light it's set up properly um, all these things but for artists we get caught up in the vanity metrics and because we're s- still early on in how artists are kind of mixing with social media it's easy to get caught up in what how it's been used in the last 10 years which in my opinion isn't hasn't been used correctly so we're trying to 
correct course by for not just you but also for ourselves yes so <laughs> so that's why it's, it's important for you to create this minimum of a, a hundred pieces of inventory before you post anything on social media correct and yeah. this will do a few things besides just create consistency within your brand um, when you actually have these physical pieces you'll have so much more product and brand awareness just you'll have raw materials to get your name out there because you can take these pieces to local venues, restaurants, and government buildings and ask to hang your art up. Mm. And you can take them to art shows. and you, You'll have enough inventory to do all the things you need to do to really start getting your name out there. But if you have eight pieces, yeah. it's not. there's going to be a very small number of people that you're going to actually come across that are going to see your work and... In the terms of business, the more people that you get eyes on your work, yeah. the more easily you're going to find your niche. And think of it this way. If you only had eight pieces and you put eight pieces out there and uh, and nobody bought any of them, you would feel a little defeated because, well, you only have eight pieces to show and that's your entire library of work. If you had eight pieces out there and they didn't sell, you would have... 92 other pieces that you could use to show in other places and not be so reliant on those eight pieces Absolutely. solely. So that's why it's also important to make sure you have a broad spectrum of, of pieces. So that kind of gets into the next part, which is like focusing on the kind of inventory you should be creating, right? Yes. Yeah, so we're now we're creating, like we're talking about what kind of inventory to create. So before we go into that, let's first say that when you're diving into creating your inventory, we are not selling. I'm going to get a t-shirt and then I'm gonna get tattooed on my face that says we are not creating to sell. <laughs> yes. Because this is one of the biggest like holes that artists fall into is they see what's online and on Pinterest and on yeah. Instagram and they're like, oh, well, this post got 4,000 likes. If I make the same thing, I'll get 4,000 likes. The problem is is that that's the mass market game, and you're not going to win that game. Yeah, if you were to kind of take a look at, you know, the most um, famous artists in the last 200 years, and you compared them to each other, you could probably say that they're vastly different from each other. Mm -hmm. um, take a look at Matisse and compare it to Jackson Pollock, compare it to, to Francis Bacon, and then compare it to Jeff Koons. They're all very unique and different. And a lot of times what people do during these periods is they try to emulate and then mass produce something that looks a lot like them. You shouldn't be doing that. You should be trying to create your own kind of unique style. Um, of course, it's going to be, a, you know, maybe inspired by some of the masters and other artists, but uh, you, you really can't dive too closely into what everybody else is already doing in mass production. Um, that's not going to help you. Don't go to um, Hobby Lobby and oh, take a look at what's that. selling and try to recreate that. Yes. that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be like those types of artists. Um, that's that's commodity. You don't want it to be a commodity where people are just trying to look at the prices and getting the price, the best deal. You, Correct. You want to be a rarity. And I love what you – there's a great part of this I want you to talk about that okay. you wrote in the, on the website about um, how – you know, who is it that you quoted on here? That so, you have, so I actually here. got this from Simon Sinek. And if you haven't listened to Simon Sinek before, 
I some of this from Simon Sinek. You need to just Google him because yeah, he will. He'll make you love yourself. Yeah, TED Talk. It's just he will make you feel so inspired and yeah, like check, you're a rock star. It's check great. out his TED Talks. They're they're wonderful. So talk about this part right okay. here. Okay, so the why I mentioned Simon was uh, I was listening to one of his latest interviews and he was talking about Jeffrey Moore. Um, Jeffrey yeah. Moore is the um, he he I don't know if he created it. But he coined it in his book Crossing the Chasm. He um, created this bell curve, um, so we're talking about statistics, so created this bell curve of the market. So in every industry, we have a bell curve um, in which we have different segments of the market. So according to Jeffrey Moore, we have the innovators. I can't remember the exact percentages, but um, the innovators are like 4 to 5%-ish. Then you have your early adopters, which are like 5 to like 18%-ish. Don't quote me on these numbers, but you get the idea. They're the the first little bit. And then as the bell curve goes up, um, once you jump that gap uh, from like, it's like from 18 to 20%, then you have the early majority and the late majority. And then at the very tail end where the bell curve goes back down, you have your laggards. So let's break this down into something we're all familiar with. If we take um, phones, for example, and we applied it to the uh, bell curve that Jeffrey Moore has in his book, the innovators are going to be the people who are probably beta testing. They're probably working on the phone. Yeah. Um, they're part of it. They, um, they're going to be more closely aligned with like tech, um, like my brother. My brother is a computer science uh, dude. And he builds all his own technology. So I would call him more of an innovator. He doesn't buy a product. He builds everything. Then you have the early adopters. Your early adopters are the people who stand outside of the Apple store like 48 hours before the new iPhone comes out, even though there's nothing different. It's not that they're dumb. It's that they believe in their, um, their like, what, what does he call them? He calls them visionaries. That's what they are. So the visionaries are always looking for the next big thing. They're looking for something revolutionary, something exciting. And we'll talk about them some more in a minute. And so that's why they're willing to stand outside and hope that that the iPhone will give that to them. And every industry has their own unique sort of early adopters and innovators. Look at TikTok. When TikTok was first on, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people that are using it now weren't using it because they they weren't innovators. They weren't early adopters. They were mass market. And so now it's now it's kind of dipped into the mass market and TikTok, but but when it first released, it was it was the innovators that were on there first because they were willing to take the risk. Absolutely. So as we keep going up the bell curve, you have the early majority and late majority. These are the people who buy the iPhone when it's like they got a sale going. They're like, oh hey, okay, that's that's better. I can take good pictures and mm. text and hook it up to my computer. And then you have your laggards, who are your grandparents, who are like. I don't want the iPhone, but there's nothing left. Yeah. So this is what I got to have. Uh, there's, <laughs> nothing left. there's nothing left. So that's what that's what laggards are. And every industry has these. And just because you're an early adopter in one industry doesn't mean you're an early adopter in every industry. Right. It depends on what your interests are. So in saying that, um, when Jeffrey Moore's talking in his book, he's talking about jumping the chasm to hit the mass market. And too many artists try to do this. They say, 
especially if you're listening to motivational stuff, which are meant for people who are starting companies. They're trying to jump the chasm, which is that jumping from early adopters to the majority. Mm. And as an artist, you're not in that game. Right. You have no business or really no interest in the mass market because the people who are in the mass market are buying reproduced art from Target and Hobby Lobby and Correct. they don't want to pay for real art. They see no value in real art. Mm. They're just wanting to make their house look like a Pinterest board. Oof. Yes. So those are not your people. Stop trying to appeal to them. I say that lovingly because I'm also saying it to myself and to you because we had this conversation yesterday. Mm-hmm. So when we go, so then how I kind of remix this is as an artist, you need to not be focusing on the early majority and the late majority. Stay out of the mass market. That is not your mojo. Yes. Stay out of that game because the only people who win the mass market game are the people who can charge the least. And so the only way you can play that game is if you practically charge nothing or you never sell anything in which I'm sure you're not interested in either one of those options. Right. So what do you do as an artist? You need to find your niche. Now I know we all hate that word because everyone uses it like it's, I don't know what side everyone uses. Um, toilet paper. There you go. And no one actually knows what it means. Everyone, on YouTube is like, find your niche. Blech. And everyone's like, I don't know what the hell that is. And they just keep screaming, find your niche. Well, don't worry. I finally figured out how to explain this. So your niche is the early adopters in this bell curve. So let's go back into what um, Jeffrey Moore talks about. And so your early adopters are your visionaries. I'm going to read you his quote. Uh, He says, visionaries are not just looking for an improvement, but a revolutionary breakthrough. Consequently, they are willing to take high risks, trying something new, and are the least price sensitive of the adopter groups. Whoa! And are highly demanding. Those sound like really nice collectors. They certainly do. So those are who you're going for, okay? Quit getting upset because you can't get 6,000 likes on Instagram. Okay, the people who are doing that are playing the mass market game. They're paying for all of those likes through ads, okay? Mm. Don't play that game. So how do we do this? So how do we appeal to the early adopters? So early adopters are actually, it's kind of counterintuitive. The early adopters are our trendsetters. So you mentioned TikTok. The early adopters are the people who are setting the trends on TikTok. They're they're the ones who create the sounds and first use the sounds and start the trends. They don't they don't hop on trends. By the time people are hopping on a trend, the early adopters have already moved on to different trends. Correct. They are the ones who are setting them. So, as an artist, all you need to do is create because your collectors are always looking for something new. You don't need to compete with other artists because the early adopters don't just want one other artist. Okay? You're not trying... This is not Walmart. You're not trying to be the only superstore everyone ever shops at. Okay? we They want as much art and as many artisan products as they can get because that's who they are. Alright? So there's more than enough room for everybody in this capacity. So... What you need to do when you're creating your inventory is focus on doing 
what makes you like create what makes you feel excited create what like moves you and it doesn't have i mean this is a multitude of things basically like so for instance if you're into i'm just gonna use my own thing if you're into like climate change and you create work about you know um recycling or sustainability or just basically ecological awareness you're gonna find early adopters who are like hell yeah i want that and then they're gonna pay for it because they're highly demanding and they're not um price sensitive when it comes to for me i'm an early adopter with tolkien stuff like anything that comes out lord of the rings that's a collector's item or a book that tolkien releases i don't care i'm gonna get it and I'm a very frugal person, but when it comes to Tolkien, I don't care. I'm very demanding. It doesn't matter how much stuff I have, I will always buy more. That's just, that's I'm in that niche. So for you, it doesn't matter if it's a, if you're interested in politics or if you're interested in like an abstract concept or like abstract art or if you're interested by an artistic movement or music, it doesn't matter. Like combine your interests and channel it through yourself to create a piece of art and then your audience will find you like don't chase these people they're gonna find you and then they're gonna be obsessed with you and they're highly demanding so they're gonna keep asking for stuff from you but this is also why it's important to have a hundred pieces yes because it's hard to, it's hard to be excited you don't want to be the one hit wonder right. you don't want to drop a great song and everyone's like oh my gosh this is the great song when are you going to do the next one? And you're like, I, I barely made this one. <laughs> this, this is all I have. This is all I got. And you then they're like, they're going to they'll move on. They'll move on. And so if you have a hundred works, you're going to have so much to offer them. And then you're going to inspire them to ask for commissions mm -hmm. and request things. And mm -hmm. you're going to have so much more traction with your audience. And you'll have an easier time finding your audience. Because imagine a piece of art is like a fishing pole. So if you're out fishing, I don't like fishing, but if you're out fishing, I don't like to hurt the fish. If you're out fishing and you throw one line out there, you, that one line's got to pull in everybody. Yeah. One painting that you put up on Instagram, you're relying on that one fishing pole to bring in your whole audience. Imagine how many more fish you're going to get with a hundred fishing poles. Mm. You're going to get a hundred times as many fish coming to you that's your audience so each thing you put out each piece that you put out is a fishing pole for your audience right. the more you have the more likely you are to find your audience correct so i feel like i went on a holy rant yeah but you, you covered <laughs> it that's exactly what we needed to we needed to cover and the other part to that is making sure that you are developing a series of work in different sizes yes so, the so next... that you can appeal to uh different kinds of collectors because you're going to have people that are early adopters that you know are going to be in different sort of living situations where maybe they already have a large collection and they need to fill some some spots inside their collection smaller areas you may have somebody that's moved into a new home and really needs a big piece to fill in or you might find a corporate collector that's wanting really mm -hmm. really big work um there's going to be a whole different you know different types of groups of people that are going to be fans of your work that have certain needs that you know are going to depend on certain sizes of work so you have to make sure you're creating in different sizes 
that work well for your collectors and for your fans. Um, and in saying that, you also have to make sure that you're working in series like we talked about. If you drop a really, really great painting and people are going to assume that you just are creating more of that kind of work mm -hmm. and you don't have it, it's frustrating whenever, you know, somebody collects some work and then you don't drop another piece for three, four, five months of, you know, of that same kind of work. It's very frustrating. Um, I'll give you a little short little uh, example. I have... I think I've got 20 unique pieces within my Day of the Dead series. Mm -hmm. Something around that. It's like 15 to 20, I think. Ish. Yeah. Ish. And I have an Etsy for it, and I put up a new piece maybe once a month. Um, a new original piece once a month. When I when people go through my Etsy, when I see, when somebody like hearts one of my products on my Etsy, they usually heart 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 other pieces because they found other stuff that's within that same realm of that series. Mm -hmm. And that works really well for me, and that's what helps me sell a lot of prints because they're in series. People that are fans of the work that I did in that series are going to want to collect multiple multiples of them. They'll come back for them, and they do. They often right. do. Yeah. So there's different values in doing series. And to break the, if, if you don't know what a series is, a series is simply having a theme for a set of your pieces. So for yeah. instance, Alejandro's got Day of the Dead, a Day of the Dead series. It's not a completed series. Like right. it's not like he's like, I'm doing twelve and I will never do it again. Yeah. It's a continued series. And so it's good because you have customers who are again early adopters, highly demanding. Like, oh my gosh, he has another one. I need it. Yes. So collectors love a complete set. Because we all like closure and we all like to have the complete sets. Yes. No one wants to be missing that one cup from your six <laughs> cup collection. You yes. want them all. Yes. And so it creates a demand within your art. But even more than that, and I think is what my favorite part of a series is, is that you will notice an amazing difference from your first piece in your series oh, yeah. to your latest piece. You can see how you're growing and how your skill is developing. And this is a great, um, I think, this is great feedback mm. for yourself as you grow as an artist because you mm. can gauge that you are, in fact, growing, which then adds mm. value. And then yeah. it we can talk about how that translates into selling and pricing later yeah. on. But this is, it's a, it's a great method for you to create. Yeah, don't be intimidated by, if you're inspired by it, to do a specific series that you're not necessarily you know, skillful at quite yet. You may have some understanding and, and may have built some skill level, but you may not feel uh, as adept at it as, as you would be if you'd spent many years doing it. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of doing the series um, because you'll learn a lot. Maybe the first few won't be ready for display and might need to kind of refine it, but you'll quickly find that as you develop it and you uh, broaden the series, you'll get really, really good at it. Um, and it'll just kind of add another kind of you know, a uh, tool in your toolbox whenever you're ready to take on other sorts of projects, um, especially if you like end up doing murals or something like that. You'll end up pulling from a lot of your skill sets when you did multiple types of series um, because it, it really focuses your work. Absolutely. So now let's talk about while you're creating your work, you need to be documenting 
your process of creation, as well as documenting the works, because then you can make prints when you're done. That's mm, a whole fun yeah. revenue stream in itself. But let's talk about documenting your process. Yeah, let's talk about that. I think whenever you're getting into it, you should have at least a minimum of five different types of documented content as you're creating your process or as you're creating through your process. Um, That's from five per piece, per five, original work. Yeah, five per piece. Um, and then archive them, save them. Um, you know, Google Drive is a really great tool where you can kind of organize and save a lot of your content. Um, but really, you know, on your hard drive, external hard drive, anywhere you can save that content so that you can use it and make sure it's organized. Um, and the reason why that's important is because you want, whenever you start telling your story of your creative process and your journey, when you're ready to start share those hundred pieces of, of inventory of work, you want to be able to tell the story of each piece. And that's important because collectors they don't always want to see the finished product um, in terms of content. They want to see why did you paint it? What, what was it about this piece that inspired you? What, why did you, you know, why did you take it in this direction? Why did you use these colors? They want to know that the collectors, hardcore collectors that we're talking about, the, the, the trendsetters, the innovators, they want to know the story behind the reason why you created these pieces of, of artwork. So, as you're creating through your process, um, document it with video, um, photos. Um, you can even do a vlog um, of the pieces. Do a mix mash of different types of content so you can repurpose it when you're ready to share across the platforms that you're going to be on. Correct. Um, and so when you're done with each piece, we cannot emphasize this enough. You need to have a polished, well-lit photo of your work. Yes. Because... There's multiple reasons why. One, you need to have a portfolio so that you can take to businesses and art events and yep. put on your website and create prints out of. Yep. You need to have well-polished prints. Now, I have on the blog this all written out. So see that below if you're like, you're going too fast. It's all written out for you. So we have two general rules of thumb when it talks about... Um, when we talk about your final documentation of your piece, which is your final photo that you're going to use for reproduction. Okay, use a good camera. Okay, we've used our phone. We've been there. That was embarrassing. Don't use your camera. Okay, I don't care if you've got the iPhone, I don't, what's out? 12, 13, I don't care. It doesn't matter what you got, don't do it. Get an actual camera, and we're not saying go out and buy one. Like, you can partner with local photographers because they have cameras, cook them food, trade art with them, make, I don't care, just figure out some trade so that way either they can photograph it or you can just borrow their camera. Or, we're very lucky, our local library actually has the latest Canon camera um, over in our STEM lab, which is free for everyone in um, our county to use as long as you have a library card. So see if there, those options are available to you in your area, because that will help you more than you realize, especially when you get to 10 years from now and you have a pixelated phone picture that you're like, I can't get this back. I sold it. I don't yes. know where it is. Yes. <laughs> Another thing that happened to me was I, when I first started, I, I did a series of, of works of portraits that, you know, I ended up kind of resharing just, uh, you know, just to kind of put out some more content. And I had people reaching out wanting prints of those, but I didn't. I didn't document them at that point in time in my career because it was so early. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know what camera I should have been using. 
and it's too late now because all those pieces are gone. Um, I don't, ha I only have one left. Um, and that's my personal, um, you know, piece in my collection. So that's another reason you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, now that you're starting out, if you're starting out, if you're, if you're kind of already on into your career, see if you can backlog. And if you see have those pieces still go ahead and, and document them, even if, you know, you did them a couple years ago, yeah. um, add them to your inventory, um, formally, uh, with, with, uh, uh, a good camera and get a good picture. Absolutely. So our second, uh, rule is, and this is actually learned this when I was in, uh, when I was studying comic design in grad school, you need to create the work itself bigger than your print. Um, so we have a friend who's an artist who does use her phone, but her prints look phenomenal. And we're like, how the hell do you do that? Well, her secret is she paints a lot bigger than her prints are. So that's the same thing they do with old school comic design. They would actually draw out every page, but it would literally be five times bigger than the actual page. And when you condense it down, it smooths out lines and it minimizes your problem areas. So you can really make great quality prints if you try to go backwards. The print, the work itself, if it's bigger than the print, gonna look a lot better yeah don't try to do a four by four inch and then yeah. print it at a 36 by yeah. 36 inch canvas it's yeah. not gonna look it's good. not gonna look good yeah it's that's that you can kind of you can you can kind of get by with embellishing but even then you, it's it's not gonna look as good as if you had done it properly um, and try to be consistent with your sizes I don't necessarily want to put you guys in a corner where you have to you can only paint specific sizes and can't paint anything else at all but I found that um, especially when I do like my series of works, 24 by 36 is really my sweet spot because when I reduce the print size to a 12 by 18, it looks really, really good um, and it prints really well. Um, and the 24 by 36 is, is a good size for most collectors. It's not too big, not too small. Um, but again, you had just kind of to figure out with your kind of work what works well for you. And, um, you know, I try to keep those as consistent as you can. You know, if you feel inspired to do something really big and awkward, that's okay. No problem. Well, um, and Alejandro does that all the time. He has yeah. a bunch of giant pieces in restaurants, and then he just sold, what was the little, what was the little Stevie Ray Vaughan one that you did? Oh, on wood? Yeah. Yeah, it was like a, it was a weird size. It was like a six by ten by two inch yeah, thickness. So, so, yeah. It's, yeah. So, don't just stick to one size, but yeah. it is, it, it does help it does, with consistency. I would, yeah, I'd say 60, 40, 60, 40, what? Like 60 stay. Yeah. Much. About 60% try to stick with your sizes and then leave 40% for you to just have fun and experiment and try oh, out really big. Things. And I like to paint really tiny. Yeah. And then try little small ones. Like I, you know, I really experimented with these small pieces on wood and, um, and they're doing well. They both sell, sold in the same day to different collectors. Yeah. So, you know, give yourself some some leeway there. But definitely try to find something that works well for you so that you can keep your printing costs consistent. Yes, absolutely. And that you, so you can find a consistent printer, too. Because there's some printers that don't, don't print in, in certain sizes. And yes. certain size paintings won't transfer to the ratios that they have for those size uh, prints. And so. don't don't fret too much about this right now. Just create. We'll walk yeah. you through the that process when we get to phase two. Yeah, correct. But for right now, just you know, make sure you're creating in different sizes if you can. Keep them consistent if possible. If it's a, if not, that's okay. It's really just more important that you create. Yes. An inventory. Um, you can figure out the rest because 
you're going to be creating more than 100 pieces eventually. Well, and so let, let's be clear that when you're creating 100 pieces, that's going to stay where you're at for the rest of your career. It's going to exceed that eventually. Yeah. But when you sell a piece, then you're down to 99. Yes. Well, then you got to put it back up to 100. Yes. So 100 is where like you're hovering at. Yeah. You want to have at least that much at all times. Yeah. So you're going to have to replenish it. It's not like you're like, I'm making 100 and that's all. Yeah. Every time you sell one, it's time for a new one because mm-hmm. that's going to keep your collectors interested Correct. and it's going to make you keep growing as an artist, which Correct. is the point. All right. So our last point and our broken record point is don't, sell. don't fucking sell what you're doing. Uh, we have so many artists fight us on this. Yes. They think we're full of shit, but yes. we, we're not doing this because we don't want you to be successful. It's the opposite. We have done this the wrong way. We have done the thing where you make one painting and you're like, I'm going to sell it. And then you're like, everyone wants more. And you're like, I met them. Okay. Learn from our mistakes. Alejandro's been doing this for over 10 years. Yeah. He knows. And I've watched him and I've watched other artists. Just trust us. Don't sell your inventory. Yeah. Even if people are asking, even, even if they're wanting to give you money. And your family is going to be obnoxious about this your friends and your spouse and your dog and your kids are going to be like post it online or sell it you should do it and you're on number three okay don't do it don't do it they don't understand the art business that doesn't mean that they're like like that's nothing against them they just don't understand okay they just want you to be successful but we're telling you you will be more successful if you wait so don't sell Starting piece number eight. And do not, until you are ready to go to the step of creating your community, mm-hmm. do not put it on social media. Because this sounds like a good idea. And you're like, but I will have a community by the time I sell everything. No, you won't. Because you'll put something on Facebook and some asshole's going to make a comment about it on piece 16. And then you'll never get to piece 17. Or you'll have someone who wants to sell or who wants to buy and you won't know what price to sell it them your art and you'll either sell it too cheap or you'll sell it too high and that will mm-hmm. screw you up later and trust us you are a business just like any other entrepreneur you are a business you do not sell until the business is open your grand opening is not until you have your hundred pieces of inventory Otherwise, you're just going to cry a lot because we're going <laughs> to don't do it. We're still going to have people do it. Anyway. Yeah. But please be the one person who listens to us because we promise this will help you and you will sell more in the long run. All right. So our last point is when you are creating your inventory, you're going to create more than a hundred pieces because as artists, we create garbage sometimes, and that's okay. That's inevitable. If DC is allowed to create absolute garbage and then create the Joker, you're allowed to create garbage, okay? That doesn't mean you're a terrible artist or that you're a failure or you're a fraud. It means you're just creating, okay? And every every single creator ever has created absolute junk, and that also includes people like Michelangelo and... Da Vinci, like, it's fun to see the stuff they threw away. They're like, this is garbage. Okay, Rembrandt painted over his paintings all the time. 
So you're probably going to end up, like, not throwing away, but redoing or just deciding yeah. not to use. Just repurposing. Yeah. Like, so if you probably might create 120 to 150 pieces and then pick the best 100 out of that. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. If you get through a painting, you're like, this is not good. Flip that sucker over and paint over it. Yeah. Start fresh. The point is you want to feel good while you're creating because that is what excites your collector. So let's go over our mini objectives. So going back to our main objective of creating inventory. Your big goal is to create 100 pieces of original work in various sizes mm -hmm. and creating in series, which is very helpful to you. So um, your little micro objectives are create 100 pieces in various sizes to document your process of creating each piece and three do not try to sell your inventory or post it to social media before you have opened your art business you okay i'm gonna die on you're this angry hill. i'm gonna die on this hill why are you so angry because i see you going through this and i don't want other people to go through <laughs> I know, it i know i know i i I care about you guys so much. It just makes me crazy. I want I want you guys to be not go through the <laughs> the fuck ups that we've done. Yeah, yeah. So, it's agonizing. It's agonizing. I don't want you guys to suffer. So I will die on this hill. <laughs> She's yelling at me now. You guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just so passionate. <sighs> oh. All right, guys. Oh, see now I've lost my voice. Okay. Well, <laughs> the podcast is over it's over We're done. We're done. <laughs> all right guys so um this is so this week we talked about creating your inventory next week we're going to talk about fostering a local community it's time to open your art business Woo! we're almost there we're almost there so we're almost done with phase one we've got one more lesson to do mm -hmm. it's so exciting so that will be up next week. And as I said before, every podcast has an accompany. It has a bunch of um, extra stuff to go with it. So we never replicate our material. We always re-record or redo something. So that way we're always, we've got fresh content for you. So with this podcast, we've got an accompanying video and a blog that I've written out for you, as well as a little mini lesson on our website. So you can find all of that below in the description and we can't wait to see you guys on the website if you're interested in joining the community that's also on our website yep. and we've got lots of artists that'd be happy to hear your story and happy to help you out yep all right guys we will see you next week bye 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 bye